All right, if you want to come on in and find a seat, we'll go ahead and get started tonight. Everybody seems to be in good spirits tonight. We're always thankful for that. We're glad you're here. Uh, if you are one who is visiting with us tonight, you are our honored guest, and we are indeed grateful you've chosen to be here. And uh, we want to invite you to come and be with us anytime you have an opportunity. Uh, we'll meet on Sunday morning at 9.30 for our worship service, and then we'll have Bible classes, great Bible classes for all ages on Sunday night uh, at 5, and we'd love you to come and be a part of that. We're going to begin tonight with just a few announcements. First of all, uh, if you didn't get the bulletin, uh, please pick one of those up. It'll have an update uh, on the sick, and uh, we are hoping that you will make sure you look over that, and let's pray for those that need our prayers. Let's encourage those that need our encouragement. This is fresh on my mind. It was just told me. So lads to leaders, please pay attention. Song leaders and songs of praise are going to meet this Sunday morning immediately following the AM service. So song leaders and songs of praise immediately following the service on Sunday morning. Also, our weekly food pantry item uh, this week, uh, well, let me see if I can even find it here. Oh, canned fruit. And of course, uh, the food pantry and the clothes closet will be open next Thursday, the 10th, as well as the following Thursday on the 17th. And uh, we have been really swamped with a lot of people that are needing help. And uh, any of these items that you could bring uh, for the pantry would certainly be helpful. They'll be used. And uh, if you still are one that might like to investigate about helping out uh, with the food pantry or the clothes closet, uh, we'll make sure that you find a place to be. Uh, you can just show up at 9 o'clock or a little before 9 o'clock on Thursdays when we have that, and uh, you'll be put to work. It's a great work. It's a great outreach to our community. Also, the Golden Circle, you're going to be having your monthly luncheon this coming Tuesday, November the 8th at 1130 in the Annex. I hope you'll check out the bulletin. There's a couple of gospel meetings. They're going to begin on Sunday. There's also a men's day that's coming up in the near future as well. Of course, uh, tonight we begin, or Sunday I should say, we begin a new quarter. Some of it's going to begin tonight uh, in our adult classes. So I hope you'll uh, look at the bulletin and look at the schedule that's available. I believe I'm correct in saying that in the auditorium tonight, Brother Ken will be teaching the distinctive nature of the church. Uh, Adam Carlson is scheduled tonight to teach uh, the TAC adult classes on the book of Romans. I know I'm going to be starting by teaching the teens tonight, so please pray for me as well. And uh, of course, we have our college class that continues to grow and to flourish. So. Uh, make sure you make it a priority to be a part of a Bible class. I do think I need to say a word of commendation uh, about our contribution on Sunday. Uh, you, brethren, generously contributed thus far $26,639. And uh, the elders I know and the church here is going to certainly benefit tremendously from your generosity. And uh, your generosity and liberality is very much appreciated. That's all the announcements that I have tonight for our devotional. 
Uh, Turner Foster is going to be leading our singing, and Brother Merle Crow uh, will lead our prayer. And then we'll have a, a closing song as the teachers go to class. Good evening. The invitation song tonight will be 948, I Am Resolved. The song before the devotion will be 957, This World Is Not My Home, 957. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, my treasures are laid are to continually be transformed into the likeness of Christ. You know, God is trying to press his people into a Christ-shaped mold. But you know, this transformation isn't an easy process, partly because the world is continually trying to press us into its mold. And in order to be transformed into the image of Christ, we have to resist the temptations to be conformed to the pattern of this world. In fact, Paul writes in Romans 12 and verse 2, he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is this transformation possible? Where does this transformation into Christ actually begin? Well, this transformation is possible only if it begins in the heart. Paul says here that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, this transformation is an inside-out transformation. I think too oftentimes today, if we're not careful, we focus on our outward actions instead of our attitudes. You know, that's exactly what these Pharisees did. They were overly concerned about external appearances to the neglect of the righteousness of their heart. And Jesus really got on the Pharisees for this. He said to those folks in Matthew chapter 23, 
you're like a, a cup and a platter. You're clean on the outside, but inside you're still filthy. He said, you're like brand new tombs or sepulchers. You're, you're whitewashed on the outside. You look good on the outside, but inside you are full of dead men's bones. Inside they were hollow. You know, when Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he realized that their problems in regard to being united were merely symptoms of a much deeper problem. And Paul goes on to address the real problem when he offers the following solution to them. He said to them and wrote to them in Philippians 2 and verse 5, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so you see transformation, becoming transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, it begins in the mind and then it extends to our mannerisms. It begins in the heart and it extends to our habits. It begins with our attitude and then it extends to our action. What about you tonight? Are you truly being transformed each day into the likeness of Jesus Christ? Are you allowing God's word to penetrate your heart and to transform you into being more Christ-like every day that you live. You know, if one is outside of Christ, that transformation can begin only by being cleansed of your sins. If you are one that has not done that yet, if you've not had your sins washed away, you need to demonstrate your faith in Christ. You need to repent of your sins and then be immersed in water for the remission of your sins and you arise from that watery grave and you begin that transformation into the kind of individual that would be a shining light before others for the cause of Christ. Tonight you may be subject to the invitation and if you are, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. I am
to Canaan's land. I'm on my way after the closing prayer. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to come to your house to worship you in spirit and truth. We ask you to be with us as we continue on with the service that we will get much from the lesson that will be taught and just apply it to our lives and to uh, help others uh, by the example we set. We pray that you will just uh, honor, uh, uh, let us honor you in a way that will uh, bring glory to you and to your kingdom. We ask you now to be with us and uh, give us a uh, avenue for forgiveness of our sin as we go through uh, this service. I ask you now to bless us and keep us. I ask you this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. To Canaan's land I roam Well, good evening, everybody. It's been so pretty today and really like this time of year, don't you? 
Glad that you chose to be a part of our study tonight, and we are beginning a new study. In this class, we're going to be really talking about the church and the distinctive nature of the church. How is it that I can know I'm in the true church? What does that really look like? Those kinds of things we're going to be examining over the next three months. So I'm going to present that material with the hope that we will, first of all, understand it ourselves and see the church in the scriptures and then be able to navigate some of the religious confusion that exists in the world today. Now, I know that we've had a class on denominational doctrines. That is not what this is. We're just examining the scriptures and history to see what God planned from the very beginning related to his church. I've thought for a long time that really the best, the best way to deal with religious confusion is not to be confused yourself. <laughs> if you know what the truth is, then you ought to be able to identify something that isn't the truth. Okay, I have this list of sick people I've removed a few people who have gotten better or have really progressed and maybe even back to work. If there's someone that we've been talking about that I don't mention and you still want them on this list, I will gladly put them right back on there. But you know, this list gets so long that I just feel like I have to trim it once in a while. Uh, Irene Baker has terminal cancer. Martha Eaton is doing great in recovery with her foot. Austin Wentz actually went out trick-or-treating. And he, he's got a long way to go, but certainly he's making progress, and we're really glad for that. Ann Stevens and Don Dawson both just have chronic health problems. Kim Fowler's recovering from her foot surgery. I keep Wade Davis on the list because they haven't found anything yet. I'm hopeful, at the very least, that they can get some kind of closure or resolution, but he's been missing since June. Carolyn Wilcutt, remember her and her recovery. Melinda Hester, uh, as she recovers with her shoulder surgery. Bobby Petty, who's Joe Garrett's friend, has lung cancer. Uh, Doug's dad, Kelby's not well. Uh, Cody McGee is recovering from foot surgery. Vanessa Williams has leukemia. She's a member at Snowdown. Ann Langford is Lisa Peake's friend. She's dealing with some health problems. Chopper Taylor is really suffering. Started with just one leg, and now both legs are really bad. So pray for some relief for him. Larry Kennedy is Becky Johnson's brother-in-law. He's undergoing tests. Rick Warner's granddaughter, Marley, she broke her arm. Pray for a full recovery for her. Cassie Stewart broke her elbow. She's been suffering with a great deal of pain. Danny Ramdahl is one of our missionaries to Guyana. He has kidney failure. Ben Roberts is recovering at home. Um, they sent him home with some hardware. Hasn't been removed yet. So when that happens, hopefully he'll feel well and be able to be back with us. Mary Hoffman's asked us to pray for Cheryl. She's been treating for some 
a serious spinal pain. Marilyn Jones is going to be having hip surgery on the 9th. Linda Beard had knee replacement surgery today. She did great. She's recovering at home. And Steve Hodgen has the flu. Do you have anybody you want to add to this list? Uh, Sue just told me Tony Brown's wife, Nora, has the flu and the COVID together. Okay. <laughs> Remember, Jack Ramsey's family, he passed away. I'm not sure if it was today or last night, but he passed away. And he was on the board in North East. A lot of people in the board won't know him. In fact, one of the buildings is named after him. He lived tonight, or did. All right. Certainly made a good impact on our community. Sir? He made a good impact on our community. All right. Anybody else? Fan yes. Oops. Van Roberts. Van? Van, V-A-N, Roberts. He's the principal of our alternative school in Tishomingo County. He has pancreas cancer and it's spread. He's been fighting it for a while. He's only 48 years old. Sorry, good day. Bonnie's not feeling well. She's uh, had some, got some flu-like symptoms. Don't know if it's flu or not. And Ray, it's still the same. Pardon? Ray Mason. Oh, Ray. He's he'll be checked out tomorrow. Okay, this is the season of not well. Yes, sir, Buster. Sonia Holloway, flu. Yes, brother, brother Mark. Uh, he had a kidney surgery day before yesterday. Your brother? Yes, yes. They had a, he had a 22 millimeter kidney stone. They couldn't. They had to go do surgery to get it. So he's. But he's home. He's, he's just in some pain. Okay. Season of the flu and kidney stones. I don't want either one of those. Anybody else? <laughs> no. Let's avoid that. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to pray for these folks. And we know that God will take care of it, don't we? Yes, we do. All right. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your blessings today. Such a a beautiful day today. And thank you for this time that we can be together and study your word and pray that it will be beneficial and effective in all of us. We pray for these people who are sick. We pray your blessings on them for their recovery or certainly for their comfort. Bless Irene Baker with good days. Bless Martha Eaton and her recovery. Please be with Austin Wentz as he undergoes his treatments that he can endure it. Pray for Ann Stevens and Don Dawson that they'll have good days. Bless Kim Fowler in recovery with her foot. We pray for the Davis family as they just don't have any closure with Wade's missing. We pray for Carolyn Wilcutt 
She'll do well. Bless Melinda Hester and her recovery. We pray for Bobby Petty, who has lung cancer. Bless Kelby Smith, that he'll have good days. Be with Cody McGee in his recovery with his foot. We pray for Vanessa Williams, who has leukemia. Please be with Ann Langford, Lisa's friend, who's dealing with several health problems. We pray for Chopper Taylor, who's suffering mightily with his legs, and we pray some relief for him. We pray for Larry Kennedy, that his test will reveal exactly what the problem is, and then that he can get the treatment he needs. We pray for Marley, that she'll recover well from her broken arm. Bless Cassie Stewart in her healing, and we pray that she manage her pain better. Be with Danny Ramdahl and his treatment with his kidney disease. We pray for Ben Roberts, that he'll get well and be back with us very soon. And bless Cheryl Hoffman as she undergoes treatment. We pray for Marilyn Jones as she anticipates surgery very soon. We pray it'll be a great success and she'll get the relief she's hoping for. We pray for Linda Beard in her recovery. We're thankful that she could have the treatment, that she could be home quickly. We pray she'll have a full recovery. Bless Stephen Hodgen who has the flu. Bless Nora Brown who has the flu and COVID. Bless Jack Ramsey's family in his death and for all, all those who are affected uh, personally by it. We pray for Van Roberts, who has pancreatic cancer, and we, we pray that his treatment will go well, that he can have some relief from uh, the, the pain that he will experience. We, just, we pray that there will be a remedy for his condition. We pray for Bonnie, who's not well, for Ray Mason, who's not well. Bless Sonia Holloway, who has the flu. Be with Mark Warner, who's had this kidney stone surgery. We pray that he'll have good results. Lord, a lot of sickness around us. And not only do we pray for these who are currently aff afflicted, but we just, we really hope that the rest of us don't get something like that. We're very thankful for our health and strength and freedom to be able to assemble here. We just pray that you'll protect us if that's your will. Uh, walk with us, Lord, and uh, be with us now, uh, tonight, as we talk about these matters related to your plan for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 4 and verse 4 tells us that when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, that text is from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. What I'm trying to stress for you right there is that the center point of history is not the birth of Jesus. That's what most people tend to think. In fact, I guess they 
tried to establish our calendar on the basis of his birth. But his birth is not the center point, not from the plan of God. This text tells us exactly why Jesus was sent when he was. You read that again and tell me why it is that Jesus was sent. Okay, he was sent to redeem us. Did he redeem us in his birth? When did he redeem us? He redeemed us in his death. In fact, it goes on to say that, well, you know, what we're striving for is the adoption of sons. And when does that happen? When we obey the gospel, which is the reflection of what? His birth? <laughs> no, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So this text points to the death center of history. In John chapter 1 and verse 29, this is John the Baptist who was sent to do what job? To prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Now when John not at Jesus' birth because he was only six months ahead of Jesus, so he really couldn't talk. <laughs> but now John, as he is doing his ministry, sees Jesus. And here's how he identifies Jesus. He says that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is the significance of Jesus being a Lamb? Sacrifice. That sacrifice that he was to make was going to do what? Take away the sin of the world. And again, how do I get my sins taken away? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. My obedience to the gospel. But all of that comes down to what was God's ultimate center point? Jesus' death. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, this is a text that actually Doug referenced just a moment ago. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whose plan was this? The salvation of all men. It's God the Father's plan. When Jesus went through the process that he was set to accomplish, and then he accomplished it, who was glorified in that? The Father was, yes. Jesus was glorified in that he obeyed the Father, but the Father was ultimately glorified in the satisfaction of the plan that was set to save us from our sins. So Jesus left the glory of heaven for the express purpose of what? To 
die, to die. Again, the center point of history is not zero (laughs) or somewhere around there. The center point of history is when Jesus died. So everything that happened prior to the death of Jesus Christ actually was for the purpose of, and I'm going to say, preparation. All that happened from the very beginning until such time as Jesus died on that cross was in preparation for that one act. In fact, even as Jesus was on the cross, he had to fulfill one final prophecy that had been made way back in the book of Psalms about that whole business of the satisfaction of his thirst. Jesus was so intimate in his knowledge of what he was to accomplish that even as he is on the cross, he is making sure that everything is satisfied because the death on that cross was the center point. It was the middle in the book, of John, the book of John, chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 39. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. And these are they, do you know it? Which testify of whom? Which testify of me. He says, you've been looking at these scriptures trying to find eternal life. And you really, you know, you're not, you're, not, you're not finding a completion. You're not coming to a resolution in it. And the reason why is because you're not accepting of me. I'm, he could have said, I'm the Messiah, you know. I'm the anointed one. I'm the one that you've been looking for. But he didn't have to. Because he says, if you know those scriptures so well, then you ought to be able to read those scriptures and see whom. Jesus said, see me. You search the scriptures, you're searching them for eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Another text that kind of goes along that line is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. Rick, you can read that text if you want to. Yes, sir. For we, not, we have not followed cunning, what? for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His Majesty, for He received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy man of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Did Peter make up the gospel? That whole story about fulfillment of prophecy and so forth? No, Peter is only a what? 
or and what? <laughs> an eyewitness. He says, he says, well, now we saw, we saw what happened there on the mountain. We heard the voice of God when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We heard that. So I can testify to that fact. And I am also testifying to the fact that, you know, we don't, we don't say what we say just because we made it up. We're just vessels. We're just the medium through which that word is being communicated. That is coming from the Spirit himself. Now, we know, according to our text from Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, that God sent Jesus in what is described as the fullness of the time. Another way to say that would be God sent Jesus at the perfect time. Question, why didn't he send him 500 years later? Why, did, why didn't he wait until 2022? Wouldn't that have been amazing? Maybe we could have been right there with Jesus. Going. The reason is because throughout the entire course and the history of the world's existence, God determined that right there, that first century period, where Jesus lived was the absolute perfect time and place for the Son of God to come and to die on the cross. Now, Jesus' dying on that cross isn't just about his shedding of blood and saving us from our sins, but Jesus also had a plan about that, not just to save us, but to keep us saved. And that whole business of the mechanism by which God is going to do that, apart from Jesus actually being here and walking us through it, is nothing but the church itself. So God's plan, not just the salvation of his people, but keeping them saved, and then the continuing of that work of salvation is vested in the gospel which has been given to the church to present to the world. Now here's the thing. When the church began its work of propagating the gospel and saving men's souls, guess what? It came into a mixed up world. Just as Jesus had come into a world of darkness and he dies alone on the cross, so now this ragtag group of individuals who are to preach the gospel to every creature find themselves in a world that's mixed up in a lot of ways. It's mixed up socially. It's mixed up philosophically. It's mixed up religiously. But God said, don't worry about that. This is the perfect time. The text that I want you to read is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 to 25. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Okay, so what I want us... Uh, that text is, is saying, okay, you know what? There's all kinds of opposition out there. But what we do is we preach Christ. We, we get the truth out there. 
regardless of the opposition that we might find. And ultimately what will happen is that this gospel will override or overwrite everything else. That's the confidence that we have. We're not dealing with foolishness of men because we have the wisdom of God. We're not dealing with the weakness of men because we have the strength of God with us. And if God is with us, what? We're going to be successful. That is guaranteed. Now, I'm thinking, though, about this time. I mean, here was the church being planted in a, in a dip, really, historically, what seems, at least on the surface, to be a difficult time. However, I just wanted to point out some things historically that are significant that really point to the reason, probably, why God did what He did. Now, we're going to talk a little bit tonight about the Roman Empire. Given our time, we'll talk about its government, about the social situation that existed, and then the morality of that time. Okay, thinking about the reach, first of all, of the Roman Empire. During the first century, how much of the world, generally speaking, at least the civilized world, was conquered by the Roman Empire? That would be all of it. <laughs> and even to the farthest reaches of the civilized world, in every province, the Roman government had its reach. It could touch every place, no matter how far it was. The reason why is because in every place, to the farthest provinces, were ocup occupying soldiers... <laughs> and the ever-present and ever-loathed tax collector. You read a lot about tax collectors in New Testament scriptures. You know why? Because they were everywhere. <laughs> there were a lot of them. And they were despised by most folks who were the occupied, right? So if it isn't just the presence of the Roman soldiers, it is the constant reminder that we are subject to another people and we have to pay for the privilege of them dominating us. Now, I want to point to at least six things that are identified in history as really being benefits of central government. Okay? Number one is what was referred to, still referred to today as Pax Romana. Anybody know Latin? Anybody want to take a shot at what Pax Romana, which is so famous, would be? Some of you I know are probably history teachers. A Pax Romana is a Latin phrase that literally means Pax is actually peace. And Romana, that's Roman. And you know how translators go. You just flip them. So it's, it is a term that represented what was known as the Roman peace. Now ask yourself, why is there peace? Well, because what did Rome do? They dominated the whole world, right? So if you're under one regime and you have an occupying military force in every province and you keep your people subjugated through taking their money, then you're going to have, whether it is willing or not, that is not the question. <laughs> but you do have throughout the entire world the Roman peace. 
But that peace made possible several different things that I'm going to list for you. One of those was world trade and travel. If you have an occupying force throughout the whole world, guess what? Who's going to be attacking you now? Uh, most likely nobody. Now, there are always going to be thieves and bandits on, you know, stretches of highway that aren't very popular and are secluded. But generally speaking, throughout the entire world, there was open trade and easy travel. Why would that be important for the planting of the church in this time? Because it can spread very quickly, yes? Wasn't that the goal? To take the gospel where? To the whole world. Now, if you had to stop at every border and present your, you know, your passport and you have to have a visa to go in and work in the country and blah, 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 like missionaries do today, how effective would your missionary work be to reach the whole world? By foot. <laughs> Not very easy, right? No need for any of that. Because the world had been opened up because of the Roman Empire. How about this? How about excellent road system? Road system. Have you heard this phrase? All roads lead to Rome. You know where that came from? This. <laughs> right. So you could, from just about anywhere, make your way to the central hub. Again, what does an easy mode of transportation do for, well, I know what it did for their culture, their society, but what does it do for the church? Again, it makes it easy to travel. And then there can be several different determinations about what kind of travel you might use. Might have been that at one time, the only way to get to such and such a place is by boat. Well, what if it's out of season? You've got to wait six months. Maybe now you've got a road that will carry you there. Also, there was a common currency. Why is that important for the spread of the gospel? Okay, I, that, that's, that's one thing, the first thing that I, I thought of too. You remember that Paul actually makes a round gathering up money for relief in Jerusalem. Well, guess what? Everybody uses the same kind of money. So you could go church to church to church to church gathering funds without having to worry about exchanging those monies and the complication, which just then again created more of a streamlined communion or fellowship among the churches. This time was unique, perhaps apart from any other. You couldn't do that today. Very different then than it has been any other time in history. There also was a universal law, Roman law. Why would that be helpful for the spread of the gospel? Universal law. Yeah, every, every, again, in terms of expectations, how you are to behave, um, if I do this. Like in some places I go, 
If you sit with your legs extended towards somebody, you've insulted them. I'm like, what? I can't sit here with my legs crossed like this this whole time. Well, you better just grin and bear it. Because there's, okay, cultures and influence. During this time, there are generally a set of rules or laws that were to be obeyed by everybody. In fact, think about this. When Jesus uh, was set to be crucified, how quickly did the Roman or did the Jews want to take care of that? Now, we're ready to take him up and kill him right now. But they were not allowed to do that. Why? Because they were not allowed to do as they choose. It required Roman law. Okay? You say, well, Jesus still died. Uh, that's right. But think about the process of his death and all the things that instead of just a knee-jerk reaction by the Jews in his death, Jesus fulfilled the final steps of prophecy in all of those hours of suffering in the shedding of his blood. Then when it comes to the propagation of the gospel, you remember how many times some of our apostles like Peter and Paul were thrown into prison? What happened to them eventually? Well, they got out, right? Why? Because law, following law, and especially, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, time willing, the apostle Paul had special special recognition because he actually was a citizen of a very powerful city among the Romans. Acts chapter 22, verse 28. Okay, and then the last thing that I, that I wanted to point out um, was that um, they had safe seas. In other words, if you got on a boat, you really weren't worrying that it might be attacked by pirates and that you're going to be killed on the ocean. Okay, so there was freedom, not just in terms of the roads, but freedom of every kind of travel, including that of the seas. So there were tremendous benefits of a central government. But I will also say that during this time, even though the gospel is going to flourish and the church is going to flourish, that Paul would be able to say in Colossians 1.23 that the gospel went to every creature uh, under heaven, great success. Yet also during this time, the seeds of destruction are being planted. One of the seeds of destruction that was being planted had to do with slavery. Slavery is the thing that powered the empire. Okay, think slavery, okay. However, one thing, and I don't hear this talked about much, but one thing that created a stress in their society was not everybody is famous and powerful. Not everybody is a slave or a beggar. Some people were what you call free born. Okay. Pardon? Okay. Yes. As opposed to what Lysias was. Lysias bought his. Uh, but anyway, that's side note. Okay. So. If I'm born free, 
but I don't have any particular skills, then most likely I'm going to gravitate to what kind of work? Just going to be like a laborer of some kind, right? How many of those jobs are available if most of your empire is filled up with slaves who work for free? Yes? How are you going to make a living? Well, you might result to unscrupulous means, or it may fester within that society and create problems for your government. Okay? Slavery was a big deal. Another thing that was a big deal was the excess of the emperor and of the imperial administration. So all this money is collected in taxes. Okay, that makes sense. We've got a big empire. However, when you see your emperor and the senators using those monies in order to create lavish homes and so forth, what does that do to your sense of patriotism? <laughs> Doesn't that take, make you take a dive too? So there's an underlying current that's being developed here. Yes. And then the taxation. Taxation was represented, there's actually four different ways that people were taxed, but I'm going to mention two of them because they bear especially with some things we see in the New Testament scriptures. One is the annual the annual tax. That was typically put out by the city council because, you know, they need their own money apart from the Roman government. I just say that with tongue in cheek. No, they didn't because they received it as trickle down. Nevertheless, because they could, they did. Um, you remember, and Rick, if you don't mind reading this, Matthew chapter uh, 22 Verses 15 to 22. You'll remember this occasion. Matthew 22, verses 15 to 22. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man for thy Thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tipped ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and subscription? And they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. What did Jesus think about these taxes being collected everywhere? Pay your, pay your taxes, right? Uh, that doesn't, I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about what? What's Jesus concerned about? Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. What can we do for the kingdom of heaven? All that's happening around people and getting their mindsets. But Jesus says, we've got to, we've got to transcend the things that irritate us maybe about our government. The other way, another uh, impactful tax was what was referred to as the direct tax. This is the one that caused all the problems. 
This was a tax that was collected by men who were referred to as publicans. Now, if you're in some far off place that's, you know, inhabited by, you know, basically hoodlums and, and people don't care, that's one thing. You just pick you a tax collector and he takes his, his life in his own hands. But for the Jews, what the Romans did is they would say, okay, Judea, you owe this much tax money. And then chief tax collectors would put in a bid for it. They say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay the tax on behalf of Judea, but I want to make a profit, right? I mean, I'm not doing this just for the fun of it. I want to make a profit, and so I bid this much. Well, guess who wins the bid? It's not the low bid, <laughs> right? It's the high bid. So who comes in highest? And then what you do is you then go to your Jewish publicans, go to their Jewish brethren, and not only are they asking for the money that was necessary to pay the Romans, which was an affront to start with, but now they add to it because they've got to make a living, right? Do you see why the Jews hated Jewish tax collectors so much? Because they were what to their own people? They were robbing them. They're traitors to their own people. I thought this was an interesting uh, reference. In Luke chapter 19, verse 2, this is about Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, so he climbs up in the sycamore tree to see him for he was going to pass that way. But in verse 2, it tells us something about Zacchaeus that I think just speaks volumes. It says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was rich. I don't need to go any farther than that, do I? What was Zacchaeus' biggest hang-up here? <laughs> Why is he rich? He's taking, more than he he's taking more than he needs right now. He goes into this big deal about how, you know what, if I've taken anything from any, my, anyone uh, by false accusation, I restore fourfold, blah, blah, blah. Now that you're with Jesus, sure, this big heart, going to treat people right. But he is rich, which is indicative of a job well done for a publican. But for a Jew, most people would look at him and be appalled. How could you do this to your own people? So those things were kind of the, the seeds that would ultimately lead to destruction. Well, our time is running away from us. We're going to next week. I want to introduce just the last two little things we'll talk about. Um, the social impact, and then the moral impact. And then we're going to step into what the Bible had to say about the church as it's going to be placed in an environment that's very hostile. And yet, as, we already, as we've already seen, it's something that is set up in order that the gospel may have free reign. Let's have a prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Our Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word together. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to, to have an open mind as we think about these things, to know that your plan is always the right plan. But Lord, as we look back, we realize even in what you consider to be the perfect environment, it was still a very antagonistic toward the church. So Lord, help us to learn from 
from that experience of the early church to realize that our circumstance is not terribly different from what they experienced in the sense that here is your church trying to thrive, but in a time that's difficult, help us to be able to manage our time like they managed their time and that you gave the increase. Thank you for the blessing of that example and I pray that we can implement it in our own life and see how unique the church is in every time. Uh, please keep us safe on our journeys home. In Jesus' name, amen.